Well, Cell Connection, welcome back to another installment of GWWE Making the Case. Today we're bringing you Tyler Kelly and Ryan Everett, a three-man booth. We're going to go through the ten categories we talked about and kind of organize our thoughts within those categories opposed to the wrestlers within the categories. So we're going to go through the ten categories, the ten categories being longevity, charisma, star power, flexibility, storylines, peak moments, promo skills, character work, work rate, and work resume. Within those 10 categories, we're going to give you uh, someone we felt that is a surprise within those categories, someone that we felt is a staple in that ca- in those categories, and then someone is that category is a weakness for them. But before we get to that, Tyler, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm good. I'm well. I'm ready for GWWE, not for it to be over, since I procrastinated all the way to the end. So I'm like, it's deep into my thought as I get into it, as I use December, as I kind of wrap my brain around it. But uh, I'm excited for it. But, uh, you know, I'm ready for this. I'm ready for to see the results. Let's say that. Yeah, I would say the same, that I've uh, spent a lot of the time on it. I'm kind of kind of ready to get to the end of the road here. Very good, very good. And Ryan Everett, how are you, buddy? Good, good. Yeah, and uh, you get a little sneak peek. You're 75 into your list, and uh, so you're pretty much almost there, if not towards the very end of it. Yeah, I got a few. Kind of just work on the back end right now. I'm pretty confident in the top of the list, although my one and two keep changing like every match I see. So that might that might be a New Year's Eve decision at like 7 o'clock. I'll just make a choice coin flip then but we'll we'll get to that as we go i wonder if that that information will will leak during this podcast but we'll see but all right guys let's kind of let's kind of get into it and let's start with longevity all right tyler let's start with the elder statements and that of course would be you uh tyler who is someone that surprised you in longevity that you kind of were on weren't were under the radar for you um, let's see. So we are calling this one on the fly. I'll of tell course, uh, Yeah, so let's see. Who would be someone that had kind of sneaky, long longevity? I guess the first guy that kind of came to my mind uh, was Christian. Um, and I, you know, I'm sure there may be better answers than that, but that's just, that's someone that I'm, uh, I've always really liked, and, um, you know, he dates back to the Attitude Era with his his tag team with Edge, and then, you know, I think he, you know, goes through some iterations there to the, uh, um, you know, the creepy little bastard and, you know, the, the, him and all his peeps, Um, but I really like all that. I like his tag team that he has with Jericho. And I think they really do a great job pulling off some of the character work and comedy. I think they're good and kind of overlooked tag team. Um, Good, not great, I would say. Um, And then, you know, he's starting to really catch fire again with, uh, with Jericho and uh, Cena uh, right before he leaves for other avenues. But then, you know, he does come back and has really kind of uh, somewhat, I mean, I think it's well regarded, but maybe a little overlooked run, his run with the ECW championship and then the uh, 
moving on, I think that series he has with Orton is just all-time classic and, you know, carries into, was it, 2013. I think he has a really good match with Del Rio. At, maybe the, was that at the SummerSlam, I think? Uh, listen to yeah. me in my homage to Bret Hart. Yeah. <laughs> but, but so I, I think that uh, he's the guy that there might be a little more meat on the bone there. Um, so that's that'll be my pick for that. Yeah, and he had those random pop-ins, too, where he would show up and uh, kind of just add to TV storylines here and there past retirement, too. So a little longevity aspect there, too. So he was always around besides when he was in TNA for the meat of his career. And then, when, of course, when he – hey, don't forget the Rumble appearance, too, in that pandemic match that he had with Orton, in a way, too. So, uh, yeah, he's very, that is a pretty good sneaky pick. All right, um, who was a surprise sneaky pick for you, Ryan? Uh, well, this one came up a couple weeks ago because I think at Survivor Series they made sure to pound it into the ground. But I'm surprised that Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins have been around now for 10 years. Yeah. And, like, you know, a thing with longevity is how are you being used during that time? And, you know, say what you will about how they've been used, but they've been at least perceived as main eventers almost the whole time. If that main eventer has been very high upper upper mid card so i mean i think it's it's kind of sneaks up on you when you're just thinking like oh yeah they've been around a while but then you think that it's been 10 years and like just looking at the top of my list not a lot and there's some there's your cena bruno michaels undertaker but not a lot of guys actually get to that 10 year mark yeah, and, but then the consistency within the main event, too, because you've got guys like Golda, Ziggler, JBL, Bulldog that are in or out for 10, 15 years, but they're, you know, main eventers for maybe like a year or so in between. Right. Yeah, they just have their little blips. But, yeah, these guys have pretty much yeah. always been. Yeah, for sure. That's a good one. All right, so my sneaky under-the-radar longevity pick is – right, it's weird. It's not like one that I would necessarily – say like make a case for this person but it's actually braun Strowman, 2015 16 17 18 19 20 21 so that is seven years as a upper mint carter in the wwe later to return right now so yes is he a main eventer for those years not necessarily but i would say within one of those years it's a quality main event year where you know, he would feud with Roman, as you mentioned, and then he was the world champion for six months or whatever on a on a whim. So if you were to make have Braun Strowman to make your case, you could say longevity is a sneaky way to kind of fit him in there as a undercurse or surprise way. Should he be on your list? Not necessarily. If he's on your list in the bottom 10 to 15 and longevity could be made for that case but yeah Braun Strowman's the guy right there as he's never dipped below upper mid card and he's always used always on tv and actually kind of always over even despite our internet crowd him but anyways the next one we got here is a staple Tyler who is a staple to longevity so the first guy that I immediately came up with and uh Probably you guys would take it if I didn't, um, but I get to go first. So I'm going to take the dead man. I mean, the undertakers. So I think he's just, you know, he's got to be with the company for the longest period of time, even counting that 
you know, some of the later years, he's got a lot of the, just the specialty matches, but um, when you think, you know, he had matches with, with Hogan, he's had matches with Austin, he's had matches with Cena, he had a match with Roman, I mean, that's just, you know, you could argue that's four different eras of the guy, and Taker was there for all of them. Yep, for sure, that's probably... Longevity, if we, we were scoring that, he'd score a ton, for sure. All right, who was a staple within longevity for you? I would say probably Randy Orton, because, you know, there's guys that have been there longer, more years, but Orton, I mean, I know right now he's out with an injury and stuff, but he was he's never even really been a part-time guy. You know, he's been around for 20 years almost nonstop. Like, he'll have little three month off periods here and there the last couple of years, but pretty much consistently there. And a guy that, you know, instantly when he comes in, he could be the main eventer, get you through a couple of pay-per-views as the challenger or even the champion still. So yeah, I'd say Randy Orton's really been proud. I think he, they said he has the most pay-per-view matches of anyone or TV matches, some stat they gave a while back. So, I mean, it shows he's there every month, no matter what. Yeah, for sure. All right, so my staple for longevity is Bruno San Martino. Um, he was WWE for the most part of the early 60s to the early 80s within the in-ring. And I know his in-ring career here and there snuck into the mid to late 80s, too. You know, with Savage or whatnot. And uh, when his kid was around trying to get that atrocity over. Um, but you want to talk longevity? He was the world champion from 1963 to 1971. So that's seven and a half to eight years there where he was consistently world champion. And his second title reign was from 1972 to 1977. So that's 13, 14 years as world champion. You're not going to beat that. That's the most longevity. And I know it was a different era a long time, long time ago. But uh, this is probably Bruno's highest mark on anyone. So uh, I'm going to go with Bruno as a staple to longevity. All right, Tyler, who is someone's longevity that is under the radar that we don't think about that is sneakily bad? Yeah, so. It hurt their uh, kids, too, let's say. Yeah, so uh, this is one, this is a guy that, that I personally love. Uh, he is in one of my favorite WWF matches ever. It's really the match that kind of made me the type of fan that would be doing a podcast, however, you know, decades later. And that is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. So obviously he has the WrestleMania match with Randy Savage, but I think his longevity in the WWF is definitely a a mark against him that will move him down my list and probably move him down other people's lists, Uh, which, you know, it affects everything else. It affects... You know, he doesn't have as many moments and doesn't have as many great matches as someone who's as talented as Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And that's, once again, in WWF. All right, Ryan Everett, what you got? Uh, two guys that I would go with, and I thought Tyler's actually setting up for one of them, and Razor Ramon and Kevin Nash. I mean, you think about it, like, when you say new generation, they're like two of the names that pop up as being like, the antithesis of that air, I think, like the good, the good of that air, but really like Hall was like 92 to 96 and Nash was 93 to 96. So 
three and four years, really, and I mean about a year, not even a year for Hall on the comeback and Nash. The less said about that, the better for his whole case. But I mean, you know, their their big runs are relatively short. I mean, Diesel becomes champ in a year, is the champ for a year, and then leaves. Like that's crazy, kind of. Yeah, it's it, when you think about it. There, that's but it's quality longevity. So right. yeah, yeah. So it's 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 hard, but absolutely, that's the one that kind of keeps them like in the 30s 40s 50s on something you know that's what kind of keeps them where they are opposed to a tier up really all right so my my sneakily bad longevity is actually someone that's probably going to fall off my list and that's someone that's probably going to fall off a few people's list here and longevity is not one that keeps them there and that is the honky tonk man um he was really only in the wwe from late 1986 to um Early to mid 2000 or 1991 with a few spots here and there as like a manager or a rumble appearance throughout there. But uh, he had the hot run as the IC champ from the, you know, pretty much from when he started the mid 97, mid 87, all the way till the 88. And then after that, he was just kind of a lower or mid card guy to a lower mid card guy and then to a tag guy and then phased out. So he he had five or six years there, but he just kept fading and fading and fading. And uh, it's not quality longevity, and it's not real longevity. So Honky Tonk Man might be off my list, and that's why. All right, guys. Any craziness there that we other said, or are we ready to move on from longevity? No, I think that was a good overview. Good overview? Cool. Good with you, Tyler? Yep. All right, guys. The next category we got here is charisma. And who is what is a surprise case on the charisma side here? Starting with you, Tyler. I guess the guy that I thought of uh, was the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. I mean, I think his charisma is what kind of really, you know, led to that character working as well as it did. And I think that's I mean, I guess, you know, he could. You know, he might his name might pop up into the character section as well, but um, that's just somebody that that came into my mind. I just recently watched the boy bouncing the basketball skit. Actually, one of my one of my buddies sent that to me. You know, just knowing I was a wrestling fan, and I was like, yeah, I'm I'm well aware of that one. Well, very familiar with that. So, so I would go with the Million Dollar Man as kind of a a guy that you don't necessarily think of as the most charismatic guy, but Huge, huge strength for him. Yep, absolutely. Ryan? Um, yeah, I would go with another guy, just that same air in Jake the Snake Roberts. I think just he's someone that, you know, charisma, his interviews, just the way he moved around the ring and stuff, he just had so much going on, like that people were just so into his matches because of not even getting to like the actual match itself, but just the way he sold everything in the setup to the match was always a great job by him that got people more emotionally involved than other matches at the time. All right, guys, the guys that I want to pick as underrated charisma, and that's going to be someone that we talked about earlier. Um, I talked with him about with Ryan, and I actually talked about him with Tyler on Clotheslines and Headlines, and that is Bray Wyatt. So if Bray Wyatt's on your list, this is his strongest category. 
one of his strongest categories that is and that is charisma so i for instance i go one through five five being the greatest one by being the weakest on a grading system and this is the biggest grade i gave uh, for bray wyatt and i gave him a 4.4 on charisma out of five i just think it's electric he's his charisma sprays across the board helps him as a star helps him in his character work Helps him in his promos, helps him prolong storylines, helps him within his peaks moments, gives him character flexibility, um, and all that gives him a little longevity, and it just doesn't necessarily translate in ring, but if Bray Wyatt was to be on your list, it's due to charisma, and if Bray Wyatt's on your list, that might be a sneakily interesting thing to do, and I'm not opposed to it, and that's all due to charisma, so Bray Wyatt and charisma is sneakily strong. All right, Ryan, or excuse me, Tyler, who is a staple within your list for charisma? Well, again, I think I'm going to take maybe the low-hanging fruit or at least one of them, and uh, mine would be the people's champ, The Rock. Uh, I think he's the most charismatic guy that the WWF's ever had. Um, I mean, I think that that's been shown uh, with his success outside of the ring. Um, Not that those two things are completely related, but I I feel like, um, I mean, I mean, you could learn to act, uh, but everybody kind of likes The Rock. I mean, he just comes across as somebody that everybody kind of wants to hang out with, you know, that just everybody likes and is kind of drawn to. And so so that's why he's my pick. Yeah, that's uh, that's an easy one. I think we would all agree with you on that one. Ryan? Yeah, I would go with uh, Steve Austin. I don't know. I think The Rock might have... You know, if it's the Rock's a perfect ten, Steve Austin might be like a nine point nine nine nine, just just right behind him. But you know that, especially like on Monday Night Warzone right now, they're going through like November of '96 when Austin's just all over the TV. Every show is built around him. It's and I mean then '97, '98, you know, he's just classic. Every week, something on Raw, some interview that he gives that you remember and. It really helped propel him and the WWF to, you know, new heights. Yep, good shit. All right, a staple for charisma in my on my list is, and for the record, I did, said I do five, and I bo- gave both The Rock and Stone Cold fives. Um, I would give Rock a little bit tick above, but hey, five is the highest we can go, and I don't necessarily think Stone Cold is any less charismatic. So those are kind of like, let's rank our five-star matches in a way right there. I think it's six and a quarter, though. <laughs> no, not not on this scale, buddy. But anyways, um, a guy, another guy I have on the on the five on this list is the Macho Man Randy Savage. Um, just a staple of the '80s and early '90s. Um, of course, he doesn't have the volume of TV due to the structure of the TV, but every time he was on TV, it mattered. Um, just a staple of all his storytelling and all his promos and even his in-ring charisma that we didn't really get a chance to talk about here that we talked about a lot in the past with these guys. But whenever the Macho Man was on your screen and on your TV, it was charisma out of the ass. And uh, just, you know, he a Mount Rushmore of charisma with these guys. So for the record, I have five guys slated at five with charisma. Macho Man, Steve Austin, The Rock, Hulk Hogan, and I gave Ric Flair the five just because I think he's flawless on WWTV in the charisma category, even though he doesn't have the, the meat of those guys. But those are the guys I went with for five on, on the charisma scale. 
All right, speaking of someone not a five guys, who is the least charismatic or someone that's going to hurt them or keep them off your list due to charisma? Starting with you, Tyler. Okay, so this one is someone that we talked about on the podcast that featured all three. It was the other one time that we've all three been together, and that was to discuss the Undisputed Era, and this is where it uh, it hurts me to not get this guy because he's one of my favorites, and that's Roderick Strong, but clearly um, Charisma's what's going to be the, the anchor around his neck, the, the albatross uh, that kind of weighs him down or, you know, who's going to hurt him on people's list. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong there, buddy. Now, for the record, Tyler, I'm curious. Six months, seven months later, is he on your list? Uh, yeah, he's he's still on my list. Um, I don't recall where he's probably – I'm probably going to be one of the higher ones on him, but he's, oh, back third. No, very cool, very cool. I love, I love Roddy, so just curious. All right, Ryan, where are you? Someone I would say it kind of hurts them would be a, and I don't know if it was, they didn't give them enough chances to try it or they gave them a chance and they kind of go away from it would be Cesaro. I mean, I think he could have been so much more that brief period when they had Heyman as his manager. I thought that was a great way to do it. And then they just kind of let that die off and didn't play that through to any real conclusion. And I mean, he'll go down as still one of the best, probably tag team wrestlers ever in the company, but I just left thinking that there was more. And the the biggest reason would be some people's thoughts about how he could connect with the crowd. Yeah, that was my pick. That was an easy one, I think. Um, he's actually low, has one of the lower grades of charisma. His thing, these guys are, you know, we're looking at top tier talent. So, you know, I don't think the, the Cesaro has necessarily the worst charisma, but I wouldn't say it's good. I gave him a 2.5 on the charisma scale out of 10. I mean, out of five. So, you know, he's kind of middling, but he does show some charisma. He's, but his charisma is always as a second, like as a tag guy or, or whatnot, really. But the guy that I am going to go with, unfortunately, is Matt Hardy. Um, just comparing the charisma to his brother. Um, that's kind of why the, bro- the brother is... A few tiers above him. Uh, I've, I had Hardy at number 60, and I think that he's going to fall just by happenstance, of course. Um, but I, he was very charismatic as V2, but it, it just w- didn't withstand. Um, Matt always outshined him within the Hardy Boy structure as the more charismatic one, but I don't think Matt was necessarily bad. So I don't think charisma is going to like kick him off the list, but I just think it's going to keep him down on the list opposed to like new eyes on him or if someone's like doing a project on him or watching an era and be like oh wow he's underrated so charismatic wise but not necessarily only i would say as like o two o three v1 v2 kind of era is the only time where that charisma really shined especially like when he was like revealed in late 08, 09 as like the one that jumped Matt Hardy, I just found him like his charisma was just like what kind of kept that feud away from being super hot and super decent. Where Matt was super hot and super decent, super yeah, super decent of course. But Matt was super hot, or Jeff was super hot at that time, coming off the world title run and just his popularity was at its peak around the Survivor Series and Royal Rumble at that time, Armageddon of course, and then just kind of matches felt like matches extinguished it and that was you know of course you don't want to see the brothers fight but it just felt like the charisma was a lot to do with that and he couldn't match the charisma that his brother had 
So that's kind of where we're at. All right, guys, anything you guys want to add to that on either end? I got, you know, I think you guys did a pretty good job there of doing that. But you guys want to add anything else to charisma? So you're saying that Matt was just an enigma. He wasn't a charismatic enigma. (laughs) You can say that. But there were some peaks where he was decent, but overall just not his thing. Yeah, I I like that B1. Oh, excellent. uh, But, you know, I, I wouldn't disagree with you on, you know, that. Charisma wasn't Matt's greatest strength there. Right, yeah. All right, guys. Next category we have here is star power. Tyler, who is the most surprising for star power with you? So I, I kind of struggled with this one because I'd think of someone and I think, well, that seems like it should be. You know, the big stars just do come to your mind. But one guy that I think maybe doesn't immediately spring to your mind, but I think has a lot of star power, a lot of you know, he's still recognized to this day, and that's Roddy Piper. You know, I think everybody knows him. They understand that he was a big star. He's a big part of the WWF and its kind of rise. Um, so, so that's kind of who I'm going to go with is, you know, is Roddy Piper. I agree. I grade him pretty high on star power. I gave him a four, a four point five, four points. Excuse me, four point six on the star power range. So I, I, I agree with your sentiment there. All right, Ry, who do you got? For surprising star um i would go with it was one i kind of reactivated all my thoughts on him when we did a show earlier i would go with chris jericho you know i mean obviously famous to wrestling fans but also he's just done a lot of work like those vh1 shows the i love the 90s and stuff and then he was on dancing with the stars and i think just a couple of weeks ago he was on uh the mask singer i mean i know technically he's an aw now so i don't know if that can, and adds to his star power. Can it positively affect his WWE star power? But, you know, just, you know, he's in a lot of, like, I don't know how many people don't who don't know him as a wrestler know of him, but apparently, I'm sure there's some people that do just because he's on all these other projects. Yeah, for sure. He's a rock star. He's literally a rock star. Yes, he is. Or at least a rock performer. I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm not going to get into a critique of Fozzie, but... Great value one in a way. All right, so, <laughs> all right, guys. So the one that I'm going to go with the same sentiment as you, Ryan, but I'm just going to go a little lower tier, but I'm going to go with the same vibe, and that is The Miz. Um, I graded him pretty high on a star power grade. Um, I think he's up on the list for a few people due to his star power, where he grades rather well. Um, he's not on The Masked Singer, but he's on Dancing with the Stars. He's not on he uh, he's not on MTV, but he's all over USA on different reality shows. Uh, Good Morning America, TV, whatever. Kind of the same wavelength in same PR and same press that Jericho did, but just on a lower, lower scale. Um, I don't think it's that much lower. So that's kind of why I surprisingly put The Miz on the list as a surprise. All right, guys. So who is a staple as a star power? Why is star? What kind of guy is making star power the case for him being so high up on this list? Starting with you, Tyler. This is where I'm going to go Stone Cold Steve Austin. So um, I think he's, you know, certainly one of the top two or three stars that the company's ever had. Everybody knows him, uh, wrestling fans, non-fans alike. And, um, And that's because he was the biggest star at a time when it attracted so many more fans that, you know, that really is kind of the definition of 
the casual fans is the ones that kind of went away after. I mean, I guess after the Attitude Era, but even I feel like there's like a transition between the Attitude Era into that ruthlessly aggressive time. And as they, you know, kind of faded away, it's largely due to Stone Cold not being there anymore. So so I think everybody still remembers him fondly. You know, they can always drag him out of the mothballs to be a special ref, to have a talk show bullshit, whatever. But he always, always gets a pop. You know, always, always delivers that way. Very good. All right. Excellent. Yeah, of course. So, Ryan, who do you got? Yep. And maybe trying to drag back Stone Cold for a few more matches, supposedly. Yeah. But uh, for this one, I'm going with uh, Brock Lesnar. I just think he's a guy that, you know, he's not so much now, I think, but more like in 20. 12 when he came back through like 2016 it was like a big time thing whenever he was going to wrestle he had the legitimate background that had become more legitimate since he was in UFC and stuff so I just think yeah like Brock Lesnar if he was wrestling you knew it was a main event of a big pay-per-view you know he he made the big events feel a little bit more special I would say all right, Ryan. This is the, I got, I'm starting to get heat with you, brother. This is the second time you took my pick in a row with Cesaro <laughs> and now Brock Lesnar. So we might have to change up this order. I'm just kidding, guys. But yeah, I have. I I definitely agree. So just to put a bow on my little scoring system here, I have three guys at five here. I have The Rock, Stone Cold, and Hulk Hogan as fives as a star power, and then I have Savage Flair, Cena, Bruno, Undertaker, Lesnar as like the next tier under that. But the someone that's just a tier below that and probably in that tier is Andre the Giant. Um, Andre should be on your list, of course. Um, He should be high on your list due to star power. Charisma, too. He's very charismatic. Nuance in general, really, is a a strength of Andre. Um, If it's the... we, We keep talking about out of the ring, but anyway, of course, in the ring. Drawing the biggest gate in WrestleMania history until... Um, you know, Triple H and Roman broke that. But anyways, um, <laughs> uh, the sentiment of Andre teaming up with Heening and the star power of that to go over Hulk, to, to go for Hulk and his long r- title run was the reason why uh, the Pontiac Silver Rome had 93,100 and I can't remember, 74, whatever the hell it was. So, um, or inflated number. Anyways, but um, you guys get it. Andre the Giant, under the Raider, under the Raider, guy on this list and it depends where he's on your list if it's in the 20s the 30s the 40s even in the top 10 regardless you can make a case for any of that and if you were to make the case for the top 10 to 15 to 20 star power is going to put a lot of weight into that so that's why i'm going to go with andre as a staple for star power all right who is someone weak within the star power so that i think that was a one to say i think that's a great pick there ryan and um I want to throw one more thing out there because I don't – there was one more name that I debated on having him in the surprise or having him in the staple, and I wanted to see if anyone else was going to say his name, and no one did. So I would say the Ultimate Warrior is one yeah. that comes to my mind. Um, Very good. He, I have, yeah. Yeah, he, I mean – and one of the things that I think of is I always remember um, 
his time on top was just a few years before um, before this, but like for homecoming at our high school, we had a face painting booth or whatever, and he paid a dollar, and probably like two thirds of the guys that would do it would paint their face like the Ultimate Warrior. There were probably people that didn't even know that's what it was from, but you know he had that kind of carryover. So very yeah. scientific pull. So. Yeah, and I have actually I have Warrior and Andre on the same um, tier scoring system, kind of like Andre's a little bit above I think, but I, they're in this, definitely in the same wavelength there for sure. So absolutely great, great call there, Ryan. But all right, who is like a weak star power that we would kind of hurt him on the list? So this is another one of those where I, I'm kind of thinking back to the people we've talked about, and I think of people that have a kind of an Achilles heel, and this is where I'm going to name another one of my favorites that I have made the case for, and, and that's Bob Backlund. Um, and I think that he was a big star at the time, but to be kind of between Bruno and Hogan – he falls short of that. So I think that's what, and as far as a worker, he was superior to both. Um, so, you know, I feel like there was a little cool down period there and that probably is what will drop him a little bit. Now to me, that drops him from top 10, which is, and I did have him there in 2017, but it drops him like into the teens. Very cool. So for the record, I, I, you know, we're talking the thing or whatever. I gave, I gave Hulk a five. I gave Bruno 4.9. What do you think I gave Bob? On my, just on my one through five scale with the decimals and everything. Uh, three, two and a half. No, I gave, I gave him a three, a 3.8. 3.8. Okay. Yeah. I thought, I think it's a very big, you know, 3.5 being very good four being great. I went 3.8. So, all right, very good. Um, Ryan, who is someone that's kind of hurt, hurt on your list due to star power? I praised him earlier, but I got to kind of ding him here. And this that one would be Randy Orton. I think for a guy that's been around for 20 years, and, you know, I don't think many people who aren't wrestling fans wouldn't know who that is. And it's kind of, you know, like I said, I praise him for his longevity, and he didn't wasn't taking time out to do movies and stuff. So maybe he could have done more than uh, whatever that horrible WWE film was, where he's he's ready to go to the papers or whatever it was, like in 2011. I forgot. I don't I know remember. what, what that movie was. But <laughs> yeah, surprisingly, that didn't really you know launch his Hollywood career. But you know, yeah, I think. And it's just kind of one of the things that if you're looking at every category, I think he'd be a little weaker in this than most. Gotcha. All right. The guy that I'm going to go with, that's kind of kind of have it be hurt on your list. And that's uh, William Regal. We talked about this a little bit, Tyler, before um, within our circles, of course, you know, he is a big star. He's well regarded, well loved. But um, for someone that gets so much love and praise within our circle, I just, the star power aspect might be overblown on the outskirts of the public. Um, and with that, as you will, um, it's just one category. Um, William might still stick around for me as yeah, I had him 85 last time. And I don't really think that 
I'm too down on his work. I actually more appreciate his work. I just think that he's going to be in the kind of lower 90s. He might be hanging on. 2027, he might be off, depending if he comes back to the WWE and has like some epic manager GM role or something like that. But uh, due to star power, William Regal is kind of faulting or, or falling. Tyler, what do you got for flexibility? Who surprised you within their flexibility? So the first guy that I would say was he's kind of a sneaky, super flexible guy is Sheamus. I think he is good. He can be good as a face, good as a heel, a great worker regardless. Um, And Ryan Everett and I talked about him on an Well, Ryan took him and I uh, had Greg Valentine, but, uh, you know, I definitely appreciate the Celtic warrior here. So um, great tag guy, all time tag run with Cesaro in the bar. Um, I wish they had even more time. And and I, I really, really wish that the company would do something like that more often. If they have two guys that are super talented, don't have anything else for them to do, pair them up in a tag team, let them or let them have a dominant, you know, mid card title run, something like that. Um, but anyway, I think Sheamus is just, you know, you go up and down the card, heel face, tag singles. You know, I think he can kind of do it all. All right, Ryan, what do you got? Um, someone I would go with would be Kurt Angle. I mean, great as a heel, pretty good as a face. Uh, you know, not someone you would think of as a tag wrestler, but those, you know, three, four months with the SmackDown 6, he's got one of the top tag matches in the company history. And it's, I mean, he's all over the map. You know, it's, he just seamlessly could go into that, that different facet of wrestling and still adapted to it so well you know we could have great hardcore matches you know the the brutalizing of shane mcmahon you know he could have those matches but then he could also have you know the 20 minute mat classic so any type of match that needed to be done he could he could do all right so mine's kind of kind of be off the radar a little bit but you guys will kind of get the sentiment of it and that is sergeant slaughter now, he had pockets within the WWE early on being a heel, the Grand Wizard, and then later, you know, going against Blacklin and then just kind of solidifying himself as just kind of within the territory for a year and having a year-long run as a heel, the alley fight. But anyways, um, then he would return back in 83-84 and go after Backlund again and just kind of in the same role, but he would turn babyface and then... Uh, he kind of took off on his own outside of the WWF umbrella, but he showed two runs where he was kind of near the top as a heel and then kind of as a top as a baby face. And then he would come back and have the epic heel run away from a totally different character. Well, the same character, but in a different lane where he would come back as the Iraqi sympathizer. And, uh, you, you know, you guys know all about that where you go on his run as the world champion against Hogan. And then after that, he would just turn into the baby face once again and could just have like that legacy mini run as a, as that heel. So just the flexibility to kind of move that same character around and make it work. If that makes sense at all. So it's a weird case, but it's, it's a case for surprising flexibility and maybe under appreciative flexibility. So, all right. Ryan Gray, look at you with your old school. You're, you're warming the cockles of my heart <laughs> with all this. So. 
hey man you get a little you can dig a little deep with it but um all right well it is surprising the surprising was the category so we went with it but um all right so who is a staple for flexibility to you ryan or uh tyler so uh and Ryan Everett, you bastard, you stole my answer on this one because I, I was going to go with Kurt Angle, but I know, right? Um, but that's okay. Uh, so I'll just pivot there. Uh, kind of some of the things that I would have attributed to Kurt, I can attribute to the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. So um, great tag wrestler. I love the Rockers. I wish that I had a little more featured run wish it had a long tag title run instead of a unofficial half-ass one day whatever um as it was they still finished pretty highly when we did the tag team um ballot a few years ago and uh, obviously he would go on rising up the card into the mid card you know one of the celebrated intercontinental champs uh could play face, could play heel, becomes a main eventer, has a series of you know great legendary matches to most people, um, and even the comeback as the veteran. So, so I would say I would go with Shawn Michaels here in flexibility. That's a great pick. All right, Ryan, who you got? All right. Well, now I know know how it feels to be stolen because that's who I was gonna go with. But but you fucking deserve it. <laughs> I'm going from the heartbreak kid to the hitman Bret Hart. Yeah, who yeah. that's good pick. It's, he, I mean, he really mirrors Shawn Michaels <laughs> in a lot of ways. It's the same pick. Let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one thing I will say though, he's got the heel tag team run and then the face tag team run. So he does have that little added bonus, but you know, yeah, like, you know, it's Bret Hart, great face, great heel, great technical wrestler, great tag wrestler. To do just about anything that they needed him to do. Even like in 95 when he had the matches with Diesel where he's trying to make Diesel the face. And even though he's the most popular guy in the company at the time, he just knows how to work the match to try and get the fans to turn on him to help him. But doesn't go well, but he does his best. Very much so. All right, so flexibility, I'm going with a staple here, and this is a staple to why he is super high on my list, and that is Mick Foley. Um, flexibility within to have four different characters at once, flexibility to come in and have a main event run as a heel, come in and have a main event run as a babyface, to win the title as a babyface, then the flexibility to go down and have tag teams with Al Snow, um, The Rock, Big Show, Kane, whoever he had, he became tag team champs with. Uh, the flexibility to be a legacy superstar, the flexibility in the acting shops to become the commissioner, a leg, uh, to come back as a legacy star two, three, four times. If it's against Ric Flair in the summer of 06, uh, the spring of 06 against Edge, the spring of 04 against Orton, um, just flexibility to get his name called and to fit into whatever role they call upon him. Um, Mick Foley is super flexible and shame of us for none of us picking DDP. <laughs> All right, guys, anything else on flexibility before we jump out of this category? I, I just got to say, I like how you mentioned mankind and El Snow ahead of the rock and sack connection. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> El, El Snow popped in my head, of course. 
right. So, um, so Tyler, who do you got for low flexibility? So one guy that I think is uh, is well known and will make lists, but who really didn't show much flexibility is one of the character guys from the 80s, one of the staples, and that's Ravishing Rick Rude. I think he's probably going to fall on some people's list this time, and I think just the lack of flexibility was always his, – his shtick was kind of his shtick, and I liked it well enough, um, and I do think he showed a little bit of uh, – he had some good matches with the Ultimate Warrior, and but that's really about it, the really thin resume and uh, – that's why the ravishing one is is my pick. All right, that's a good one. Rye, who you got? Uh, this would be someone that I think it's not really his fault that he didn't have much flexibility because he had a character and it worked. But the Ultimate Warrior never really got any type of heel run. And again, it's kind of he was there so quick, quick burst that he didn't really ever have a chance to grow stale as a face. But it would have been an interesting thing if they ever tried to do that turn him heel and see what how he would have acted there yeah that's a that's true i, I wonder if he stuck around in like 96 and was in you know or even one of those rumors do would come back in 98 if he would have found himself as a heel in the middle of like stone cold and the rock or whatever that's a, a interesting what if all right so flexibility um in me it's there's a few that i want to kind of just sink my teeth into and bury them but uh We'll give the honorable mention to Umaga and Yokozuna on that one. But I'm going to bury Goldberg. You have terrible flexibility. Um, at, back in 2017, I, I rated his nuance pretty decently due to his star power and his charisma. But longevity and flexibility that was within the nuance is just terrible for Goldberg. Um, he just that main event legacy, I guess, babyface in our not in our eyes, but babyface guy that just comes in. Same note, same match, same gimmick. Same thing every time with zero flexibility. So that's why Goldberg and flexibility is brutal. All right. So, Tyler, what do you got for peak moments? And who is the surprise within those peak moments? So this is one that uh, you had mentioned earlier, Ryan, and that is Mick Foley. I think he's got a lot of peak moments here. Um, Most notable, of course, they're going to show him getting thrown off the hell in a cell forever. I mean, that's, that might be the most iconic single, you know, two or three second clip or whatever it is. Um, he's just got a lot, even in addition to that, the stuff with dude love facing Austin, um, you know, getting, uh, winning his first title, winning his first WWF title, um, you know, appearing three times at the rumble, just, all things with three faces of Foley to his, his comebacks against Orton, uh, his comeback against Edge, and then joining with him to do the hardcore stuff. Just, I think he's kind of got a sneaky large amount of peak moments. Awesome. All right, Ryan. So who's the surprise peak moment for you? Uh, surprise peak moment. I'll actually go with uh, Charlotte Flair. I think. She was especially when they were, you know, starting to feature the women and stuff. Every first was always her first Hell in a Cell match, first, you know, pay per view main event, first Iron Woman match. It was always make, you know, make it Charlotte Flair versus, you know, Sasha or Bailey or Becky, whoever it was. But Charlotte was always the first in those matches. And 
you know, even they even had to make sure that she had the the first WrestleMania women's main event. She got her way into there. So always just any moment that they've had, they've always tried to make sure that she's involved in it one way or the other for better or worse. Yep. All right. So my surprise peak moments or under the radar peak moments, however you want to kind of category category surprise that is actually the nature boy Ric Flair. Um, I had Ric Flair at fuck uh, 21 in the list back in 2017, and you would think for a WWE list that would be high, but he is so high on that list due to peak moments. If uh, you know, we can go down the the gamut of what his WWE peak moments are, but a few that jump out to me is the debut, um, the SummerSlam at the debut, the the lead to the uh, the Rick. Him at the Survivor Series, Costin Hogan, um, giving the Undertaker the win. Him at the Royal Rumble, which was led to that, of course. Him against Savage. The stuff at Savage with Liz, that's more storylines, but still memorable within that moment. Um, the, the the Survivor Series stuff, the stuff with Razor that led to the stuff with Perfect. The go-home match or the loser-leave-town match with Perfect, peak moment right there. Um, and then the com- like just the comeback stuff, the the G- the Undertaker, the David Flair shit, the Vince McMahon stuff, the promos for that, and then just being Triple H's henchman within within the uh, evolution going on for that that awesome night in 2013 where he had a chance to go win the belt again in Charlotte, that was an awesome peak moment, uh, and then just the fast forward through his career, that epic night with him ending. Uh, in Orlando at WrestleMania 24 and that awesome send out the week, the night after. So just the rumble with, and then the, the, the send off are just awesome legacy, fantastic moments in WWE history. So under the radar, awesome peak moments for Ric Flair. All right. Who has some height for you? Who is the peak, the peakest of moments, Ryan or Tyler? This one's got to be Hulk Hogan for me. I mean, I think he took the company to heights they'd never been um, from the first WrestleMania to, you know, 90 some thousand in the uh, in the Silverdome, WrestleMania three, slamming the big fat wart infested giant, you know, all, all that. Uh, then on to, you know, the mega powers angle, take you know, take that into WrestleMania six, which felt like another just clash of the Titans. Um, you know, keeps he keeps going through that initial run against Slaughter. Uh, then you know he makes his comeback, and that match against Rock at WrestleMania was just electric. So I just think that Hulk Hogan, you know, he was the the face of the Rock and wrestling era. He's you know the you know, he was an iconic 80s character, so he's he's got the most peak moments to me. Awesome. Ryan, who you got? Uh, I'm going to go with the Attitude Error answer to Hulk Hogan and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Just, I mean, you know, he came in, he was just going to be a mid-card guy, and then gets his shot at King of the Ring and his the huge Austin 316 moment. From there, the feud with Bret Hart, Survivor Series, WrestleMania, wins the Rumble, 
through chicanery, but wins it nonetheless. Uh, then turns face at the WrestleMania match. Well, his face turn kind of culminates there. He'd been doing it for a little while, but that's some onset. And then just in 97, like so many raw moments, like the street fight with Brad, uh, the two tag matches against the Hurt Foundation, just all over the show, always involved. Uh, then, you know, he breaks his neck, but comes back, wins the Rumble 98, beats Shawn Michaels for the belt at WrestleMania. I mean, that's him being anointed as the guy. And from there, you know, he takes off. WWF takes off. He's the, you know, him versus McMahon is why they finally got that one ratings win. And from there, it's kind of no looking back. And 98, 99, he was the top guy. And then 2000, he goes away, but he comes back and right away, he's on top again, even with all the progress that, you know, the Rock and Triple H had made. Austin comes back and it's like, he's still the guy. And, you know, main events, WrestleMania 17, turns heel and i would say you know at the time it was kind of frowned upon but looking back now his heel run he just has so many awesome matches you know with angle benoit jericho just working a totally different style that he had been this cerebral heel that he turned into and then turns face again and kind of peters out in 2002 but then 19 year, 20 years later he's able to come back and main event wrestlemania in dallas which is pretty big uh bow on his resume that got added this year awesome all right uh there's a few i want to go with here i kind of want to go with roman but it's kind of more storyline driven and his peak only because he main evented six WrestleManias, but like half of those are disappointing, <laughs> honestly. Um, I want to go Vince because it, it adds to his case. But I when I think Vince, I think more storylines and like character work. So I don't really want to go peak moments. I already went fully with flexibility and I don't want to steal yours. But you kind of got to go The Undertaker or John Cena. And... It's just I'm is now is the is the streak peak moments or is the streak a storyline or are they both? Question for you guys. I think it'd fall under both. Like the matches yeah. themselves would be the peak moments and then the storyline would be the story of people trying to take it down. Yeah, it's interesting. But you know, I, I'm just gonna just spit out a few guys. You know, Brian and Punk, Summer of Punk, and then Brian's Rise of the Yes Movement. You know, that's that's not nothing. That, those are high. Those are highs on lists. Um, you know, that, that's that's interesting. Um, the the Montreal Screwjob for either Brett or or Sean. Those those are big classic peak moments that should be weighed. Um, oh, I can't really necessarily pick a guy. Uh, I kind of. I don't know. This, this is this is hard. Um, you know, on a lower level, Jeff Hardy or Seth Rollins have for like guys that you don't really think about having a lot of peak moments have 
significant peak moments. You know, you think if you if you think about it both in, on like a shield or in a Hardy Boys level and then like as a upper mid carder slash main event level with like the Rollins cashing in and whatnot on the biggest stage. So oh, I'm just just throwing names out there and that's kind of where I'm at one. Just spitting names and you guys can devour them how you want. But I, I'd go Vince, but I think he's, I think Vince is a lot stronger and well, he's stronger in other categories too. That's why he's. This is one of the reasons why he's high on my list. I'll sink my teeth into him later. All right, who's disappointing on peak moments, go though, guys? So the guy that uh, that I had down was Dolph Ziggler. Um, I think for a guy who's been there as long as he has, um, I think he's got a lot of good matches good you know some great matches um and you know he's a guy that i i tend to like his work um but i just think for as long as he's been there he's a little he's lacking in some peak moments not wrong all right right who you got um someone i would go with would be uh sean waltman x-pac one two three kid i think he's always viewed as like Oh, you know, he was a great wrestler. You know, he could get great matches out of everyone. And really, he has plenty of good matches, but like, really, you got the 94, the bra, the, excuse me, the raw Brett match, uh, the click tag match, and maybe the Owen Hart King of the Ring match. But really, nothing outside of those really rises to like four stars. You know, I would say. He's got plenty of three-star matches, and in 99, you know, getting that much out of what you were given on TV was something, but, like, if you're lining up the big-time matches, he doesn't really have that much. Yeah. Uh, Ziggler's a great one. Kind of on the same vein as Ziggler with peak moments is not really Sheamus because I was going to say Sheamus, but not really. You could say you can make a case. He won the rumble. He won the main event. He won a, he won a title at WrestleMania. He won money in the banks, won King of the ring. So he's had a bunch of peak moments. They just don't really, you know, grab you. Same vein as Cesaro. He doesn't really have much peak moments whatsoever, if any. Uh, but the one that is kind of has not much at all. And maybe on your, on your list just because you know you're a fan of his work and that's Samoa Joe I put Samoa Joe at 90 like three on my list last year it might have been a little prediction um of the future for him um a little bit past that might have been a little disappointing um but yeah his peak moments are kind of in NXT so you can kind of weigh that and be like Eh, are they peak moments? But and then he's just kind of like a moving. He's a placeholder in NXT. He comes to the WWE. He has a main event run, kind of, sort of. But like that main event run is like you think of the awesome promo that he comes and cuts in 2019 in front of everyone. And he only has one WrestleMania match, and that's against Rey Mysterio in 90 seconds. Um, so he's kind of in and out of rumbles too, really quick too. So Samoa Joe is a guy that you would think of, but he doesn't really have much peak moments to kind of keep him on your list this time around, possibly. Uh, if not, it's he's hanging on. All right, guys. So what do you guys have for storylines? Who is a surprise within your storylines there, Tyler? So uh, 
I went with Daniel Bryan here. Um, I think that, you know, he's obviously a great worker, so you think of that, but I, I think he's been kind of involved in some storylines and made, you know, made some of them work or made them work as best he could. He had kind of the love triangle thing with AJ Lee and CM Punk, and then I, I, maybe it's not a triangle because I think Kane was somehow involved and it went on from there. Um, that kind of went into Team Hell No, um, and then, you know, he uh, he had the deal with Sheamus, which is what, you know, kind of led to his storylines kind of taking off, which led to that, his first hot run, the Yes Movement, uh, the feud against the authority, all that. Um, and then at the kind of the peak of his popularity, he had to take some time off. But when he came back, he, you know, it's, it was like he hadn't skipped a beat and he winds up doing the environmental uh earth champion whatever it was with the hemp belt uh you know had a hell of a storyline with kofi kingston at that wrestlemania you know giving kofi his wrestlemania moment so you know i I think that was a little little under the radar you know involved in a lot of storylines yeah that's actually a, a really really good one uh all right ryan what do you got for surprisingly good storylines guy all right, so my guy is going to be uh, Sami Zayn, and it starts in NXT for him. He had that, you know, basically a year-long build to him winning the NXT title where he could use the belt, but he doesn't. He beats uh, Neville, you know, the right way. And then right afterwards, you know, they make you think that he's celebrating with Kevin Owens, and then Owens attacks him and destroys him, and then that starts up his their next feud and they kind of off and on feud for like the next year, even onto the main roster, but they have a match at, I believe it's battleground in 2016. And that kind of ends that feud for the time being. And then he also has, so he's kind of like the underdog on raw. He then goes to SmackDown and has the team with Kevin Owens, which was not, great but it was at the very at least long that's one thing you could say about it um and that eventually would lead to him splitting up from him and he becomes the conspiracy theory uh artist collective with first he's kind of managing Shinsuke and then I think Cesaro is also part of that group for a little bit but then from more recently, though, he's become the honorary Oos, which is just some of the best storytelling they're doing right now. And, you know, it won't be wrapped up by the time vote, voting comes in, but hopefully they have a satisfying end to this story because it's definitely one of the deeper ones they've done with main eventers in a while. That That's a good pick, too. I like that one. Yeah, that's a that's a really 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 good pick from both you guys. Um, I was gonna go Roman as a staple, so you kind of stole my jazz there. All right, so my surprisingly decent guy for storylines and a guy that should be on your list, but not necessarily high, but could be on your list because of storylines while making him high is actually Kane. 
Um, he debuted because of an epic storyline, the epic storyline being his brother, Undertaker. And, you know, Undertaker thought he was dead. Paul Bear said he's alive. And Undertaker thought he buried him. At, I mean, he burnt him alive in, in the whatever, the fucking the back shed of the fucking <laughs> funeral home or whatever. But little did we know. That little Paul Paul Bear was sodomizing the Undertaker's mom, <laughs> and Kane is his son or whatever. I don't know if I did that right, but we get it. So the meat of Kane is story. If it's not the Undertaker, it's transitioning to the corporation, and then once it's cor- transitioning from the corporation, it's transitioning to X Pac. This is all the meat of the Attitude Era. His first two years has been storyline driven, and it's epic, memorable storyline. And then it kind of he finds himself with like Big Show doing weird stuff, and then he's in and out with the Undertaker, and then he kind of falls and finds himself as that upper mid card guy goes away a little bit. And then he comes back, and he's just that monster with – well, he gets in the tag team with RVD, and then he's just that monster heel again with, like, the car battery and the Shane McMahon and then, like, the Linda stuff or whatever. Uh, and then he just jumps back in with The Undertaker, and then he's the big show partner, and I'm just going off memory here, guys. Puts over Umaga, and he's just always in the mix. He's always in something. He finds himself, fast forward a few years, finds himself with Team Hell No. And then he finds himself in the, the you know, the muscle of the corporation or the authority. And then he's just kind of just always in the mix due to storylines. There's some decent flexibility within that storylines. And it's just actually surprising. So he's on your list wherever it is, and it's due to storylines. All right, so who's a staple of storylines for you, Tyler? So I've got Chris Jericho here. So, um, you know, he debuts, he has the big countdown, uh, and then during his kind of early run, he's got his storyline with China where they're co-IC champs, whatever. Um, and then he, you know, he's kind of in that mid card. He's got a little story, kind of a side storyline with Triple H, but it's pretty memorable where they, they act like he's won the WWF title and he soon gets, uh, you know, going into 2001, he gets, caught up in the uh, the invasion storyline and he's a big part of it because I always think he's gonna jump and and he doesn't but you know he winds up being a central part of that he's involved in the the big tag teams matches there and that kind of goes into his storyline with the rock and their rivalry and that's tremendous stuff which then leads to him being the first undisputed champion um he has a storyline with Triple H over the belt for WrestleMania. There's dogs involved. We know how that goes. I'm not blaming that one on him. but um, So he's got that. He uh, winds up a little bit later in a storyline with Christian and Trish and the $1 Canadian bet uh, with Lita. And, but, um, and then that uh, evolves into his his feud with Christian when Trish turns. Um, and so he's got a lot of that going on. Uh, I really like then he takes a break and he winds up coming back in his work in, he comes back in late 2007, but that work in 2008, I think is just, I think he has an all time year in 2008. Uh, his character works spot on his transition into that kind of, you know, suit wearing but psychotic was supposed to be based off the 
the villain from No Country for Old Men, and he has that fantastic storyline with Sean that that feud just builds on itself. Uh, still great in 2009. It's a great feud with Ray, and you know he's it, where he's trying to take his mask. Um, he winds up having the um, the Cheer Show tag team, so they're trying to kind of elevate the tags there. Just feels like everything he's doing during this time has more of a purpose. Um, and then even even later, you get into his feud with CM Punk, where you know, for better or for worse, they're talking about some of the the personal issues with you know saying he's an alcoholic and and whatnot, bringing in his, his family into that. Um, and then even later, uh, his friendship with Kevin Owen and his list of Jericho and, and all that. So I think that Jericho is one that's just kind of always been involved in a lot of different storylines. So. Yeah, that's, that's a very good one. That's what, kind of why he's in your top 25, 20, 15, 10, whatever. He's, it's a very strong walk for him. All right, Ryan, what do you got? Uh, I'm going to go with the guy who... Like his whole career is basically. Uh, you're one. gonna fucking steal my guy. I know it. Just continue. Yeah, Randy Savage. Yeah, you fuck your mother. <laughs> <laughs> I think just you know every time his whole career he's in a storyline. You know he comes in, he starts with the manager search, and then brings out his own manager to to be his manager, which was you know everyone was vying for him, and then he starts eventually to. He has a house show run with Hogan early, but then gets into a IC title feud, wins the IC belt, and then has to start feuding with George the Animal Steel, who's in love with Elizabeth. But that gives way eventually to uh, Ricky Steamboat, who he has a very competitive match with and decides he doesn't like that, so he's going to uh, break Ricky Steamboat's net, or throat, I guess. Just make sure he never talks again and has a great feud with him, culminating in the great match at WrestleMania 3. And then slowly but surely just gets turned face because he's so amazing. And that starts the, the Mega Powers team. And then that, of course, culminates at WrestleMania 5 and like a one year arching story that is just some of the best storytelling they've ever done, I think. Uh, and then from there, he continues his feud with Hogan for the rest of 89 up until No Holds Barred, the match. And then goes into a feud with Dusty Rhodes. And even though it's goofy and stuff, it's still the number two match at WrestleMania 6. It's still a big time role. And then from there, continues the feud with Dusty for a while until eventually he sinks into a feud with Ultimate Warrior. It started about getting title matches and then ends up being the career match. And then that ends up, you know, he reunites with Elizabeth all as well. He's retired. He's living peacefully in retirement until Jake the Snake Roberts messes with Elizabeth. Gives her a Cobra is a wedding gift, and that's just something you can't do. So he eventually comes back, gets into feud with uh, Roberts. And that segues into a feud with Ric Flair, because, again, Ric Flair decides the best way to get in Macho Man's head is to claim that he, Elizabeth was his before she was her, hers. And 
that feud is great. It goes most of the year of 92. And then his storylines kind of die down. He's kind of, you know, relaxing into the commentator spokesperson role. And then his good friend Crush gets squashed by Yokozuna and turns on Randy Savage. And they have a great feud leading up to WrestleMania 10, including there's this awesome interview with Savage where he's in all black with talking about how Crush cost him his last shot at glory and he's going to take it out on him. It's just, you know, and he was always just, he always had a storyline. You could always tell what he was doing. Absolutely. He's always in the fucking mix. So, so Ryan, are you saying you can't give a Cobra as a wedding gift? Is that what you were, were saying there? Um, you can, but it's you. Sh- you should discuss with the bride and groom first. I okay, okay, it's frowned upon. I, I'm glad I talked to you. I would have really had egg on my face. So I'm, I'm really glad I, we got this straightened out. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> what are friends for? All right, so you want to talk about a guy that is kind of always weaving within and out of storylines, and storylines really move his career, and that's The Rock. I was going to go macho. You did a great job of kind of laying that out. Uh, before I get into The Rock, um, sto- guys that have epic storylines, of course, Stone Cold. Vince McMahon, I gave a five <laughs> on this list. Um, just fantastic. Um, Roman is high on this list due to story, um, especially the bloodline in the midst of it right now. Hopefully it's not the peak, but if it's the peak, it's at, it's 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 has all time potential. Um, Cena does really well in this category, of course. You know, some of his is isn't epic, 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 but or don't really play out because it's always kind of Cena must pose in a way. But he's high on this list. Another one that I have super high on this list is Roddy Piper. Um, very high within the storylines throughout his career too. But the Rock scores very well. I have him top four, um, just behind Austin, Hogan, and McMahon. I have him 4.9 with Macho on this. Um, just because I think that the Rock and Stone Cold sell so much in in the same insta, the Hogan, you know, draw. Those three, Stone Cold and Hogan being the biggest draw due to their stories within the company's history. Uh, you know, outside of Bruno, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to go that, but with like 80s, 90s stories wise, you think of those guys. And then just Vince just being just in the middle of it all is just, I can't not go. He's so entertaining, but he's more of a character thing. But anyways, The Rock, um, Blue Chipper comes in, um, but failure led to him, failure led to him storyline joining the nation within the nation. He dethrones Farouk. That's his own story within the, the nation. Um, the story within the, the storyline within the nation with DX, the storyline coming out of the nation where they have a hot baby face, but Oh shit. Epic storytelling at the survivor series, 1998. That's why I want the, the kind of highlight the rock amidst of all the popularity of my storyline telling before that, um, just that, Epics. Vince Russo at his greatest right there. That swerve of that ba- hot baby face turning with mankind involving um, and then flipping it there. And then that mankind storyline leading into the first trilogy with Stone Cold 
tying a bow on the corporation there, ending the corporation at Backlash, um, and then kind of turning into a hot baby face in the summer of 98 or 99, excuse me. Uh, just 2000, he carries the company with his stories and work rate. Uh, the second match of the trilogy, I, I know they got to it late, but still the storyline that had just think of that package of WrestleMania 17, that what's that Olympics, uh, Olympics is strong. I'm, I'm embarrassed. It, it, it can't jump in my head. My way. It's just my, my way. way. Yeah. Just jumping in, you know, that story. Just, I know they got into that story late, but still just that. That video package leading into that match is all fucking story, and that has to do with The Rock. The Rock coming back as Hollywood Rock, that story. O2 carrying the company at the beginning of Hollywood Rock, and then heel O3 Hollywood Rock. Oh, and then just the potential of the John, the, the John Cena story was unbelievable. WrestleMania 28, 29, just that storytelling of which just they played into it within the match structure too. Awesome stuff. And then just the, the prospect of him coming back and having that final story with Roman. So um, just all time top five guys for story within this company is the rock. All right. So guys, who are some of the lowlights when we think of storyline in their career, starting with you, Tyler. Yeah. So I think that the company has really fallen into, and I mean, for the last 20 years or so, uh, of just sticking guys into a mid-card feud or a mid, you know, this is for the mid-card title or maybe a random tag team. And I don't think this guy's the worst example, but I think he's one of the, the first and he's one that I really wish that they would have done a lot more. And that's Rob Van Dam. It's pretty good. Do you one. like how I pointed to myself on that one? So I, saw I, it. I realized you probably can't. Yeah. Yeah. So RVD is just one that, I think that he could have and should have been so much bigger of a star than he was. And he just, he had a few storylines, but uh, I just wanted to bring his name up because I think he, he could have had a lot more and he wound up just having a lot of, you know, mix and match tags, you know, IC title wins and, and the like. And, uh, and I still think, you know, I'll probably have him pretty high cause he's very unique, but uh, I feel like, he was a lot of missed opportunities by the company. I concur with you there, buddy. All right, Ryan, what do you got? Um, trying to think. Storylines. I think someone that kind of suffered here would be kind of AJ Styles. He's had some good storylines early on with, you know, the Roman Reigns feud and then the John Cena feud. But after that, it's kind of been – None of his feuds has really seemed that, like, intricate. It's kind of like, especially when he was champion, it was like, okay, he's going to fight Nakamura three times in a row, and then that's it for him. And then he'll fight, oh, his next challenger is Samoa Joe. He gets a three-match series with him. It was like, not there was nothing to build to those. They'd, like, have one match and then kind of build up a feud of some sort, and then they get have their third blow off match it was kind of for a while there that they didn't really know what they were doing with him and now they got him back again with the OC and I'm not sure how that's gonna end up going it's kind of like it didn't really take off three years ago I don't see it getting much better right now but he's they gotta do what they gotta do with him I guess all right so disappointing storylines 
um, a guy that has more peak moments than storylines value-wise, and that's going to be Yokozuna. Uh, I think Ryan and I pitted Bray Wyatt versus Yokozuna, and just, I, you can't deny Bray's or Yoko's peak moments winning the Rumble, headlining two WrestleManias, and, uh, you know, the Yoko ch- Slam Challenge. You know, those are epic moments, of course, uh, just to name a few. But storyline-wise, yeah, he wins the Royal Rumble, but then he kind of has a storyline with Bret Hart, but Hulk Hogan just overshadows that story, and it, there's nothing really there. He goes to win the Royal Rumble, but there's no story there because Hulk Hogan's flashed with an eyeball, and there's no payback there. He has, he has the story with Lex Luger, but the story isn't about him. The story is about Lex, you know, being Captain America and the new Hulk Hogan. Um, again, more peak moments than storylines there. And then it just Jesus, the Undertaker storyline is is with the, the with the urn and the the caskets, and that's just less of a that's a bad storyline and then you have wrestlemania 10 and then you have hulk hogan i mean bret hart overshadowing the story with owen and yoko is just kind of the background piece to that again not real much story there and then the return of yoko in 95 and it's more of a moment than a return and then he's just like he's just gone he's never really around there's just no substance with yoko he's a he's a menacing heel of course and he's an effective guy when the when the company is down but this you know what is this the the memorable story there i don't not really see it or value it so uh, i would say disappointing storylines would be yokozuna all right guys so anything else there before we jump into promos I'm good. No. all right i think those are all good picks all right so who do we got for memorable or surprise promos tyler uh the guy that I think is a surprisingly great promo is William Regal, and uh, we talked about him early on in this process, and so you know I just kind of went down a YouTube rabbit hole of finding different backstage skits or whatever, and I was just always amazed by the way he would phrase things, and he would kind of say things really quickly that there were several times I'm like, I cannot believe that made it in and there were no no one edited that out or you know whatever when he's talking about trollops or you know buxom winches and and whatever he you know he just always had a a way of phrasing things that i always found made it more interesting and um and you saw that a lot when he was in various you know he was the gm for a while or he was another some other authority figure you know a commissioner or gm or or whatever the case may be so yeah very good very good all right so all right so a guy with surprisingly good promos is (laughs) it's not real of a case but it's gonna go with the road dog jesse james um if he's on your list it's due to promos is there really money drawing promos no but it is a memorable promo within the structure of memorable characters within either dx or the new age outlaws and or both um of course if you're asked but to call somebody just a quick wit um again he's they're not money making promos but i don't think you can call the road dog a bad promo i think you could call him a surprisingly good entertaining promo if he's on your list it is due to charisma and promo 
ability in probably character work if there's any more character work outside of that promo ability. But of course, the gift to Gab, and you would think Road Dog, Jesse James. All right, so who is a staple within your promos? Can we skip Ryan? Yeah, yeah. you skipped Ryan. Yeah. yeah what a fucking jerk. It was kind of <laughs> due. I'm not going to lie. Ryan, who is a surprisingly good promo for you? So my two, I went with a group here. It's uh, Bailey and Sasha Banks. I think Sasha, you know, in NXT was great as the heel. It really was able to get the boss character over. And Bailey had the same thing going with her underdog. But then I think they really took it to another level in 2019 when Bailey turned heel. And they were like, they were the highlights of SmackDown, especially during the, uh, they were one of the few bright spots during the Thunderdome era. I think they were just able to have a great team for a while. And then even their feud afterwards was pretty good. So kind of a, you know, I think when most people are looking at the women, they're not thinking of their characters or promos, but these two actually had a, have a pretty strong argument there. All right. So Tyler, who do you got for a staple? within promo skills. Okay. So uh, this was someone that I had pegged for this spot from the very beginning when I knew we were going to go with these, go with this format and that's Jake, the snake Roberts. I just think he is maybe the best promo they've ever had. Uh, You know, he could, he could always get the point across and, you know, he would just, he would go against the grain. He'd be, he'd talk slow and he'd talk quiet. And it was, that made things creepier. Like you, you weren't screwing around when Jake talks. I mean, he made you believe sinister shit could be coming your way. Yeah, that's that's a great pick. All right, Ryan. Before I skip you, who do you have as a staple for promos? Um, I was gonna go with The Rock, but I think he's kind of gotten his shine already. So I'm gonna actually go with Kevin Owens. I think just his ability to talk is so good. Like. He can get a few going by himself just by cutting a promo. I mean, he basically carried the whole Steve Austin feud all of, you know, February and March going into WrestleMania. And he's just so good with his promos. He's able to make it seem real, seem what he's talking about is real to him and it's important to him. And just, I think he's got a really, and then like he, Pair that with his entering character, especially like early in NXT where he's yelling at fans and stuff the whole time. It's just a great package. Yeah, that's 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 a really good pick. Now, Ryan, question for you. If you one through five, where would you rate Kevin Owens as a promo? Five being uh, great. I'd probably say about a four and a half. Yeah, I'm trying to look and see where I had him. Maybe it'll come up. But anyways, my guy right here is a staple is CM Punk. Uh, I went 4.8 for for Punk for promo skills there. Um, just fantastic. Um, Summer Punk, the pipe bomb. The, the pipe bomb is a top 15 moment in company history. I'm sure mixed reviews on the fallout, not really due to him, but he's an electric promo. You even saw that in your his AEW run. Um, he still has it. He is the silver tongue devil, um, pipe bombing superstar, whatever you want to call call him. Um, just awesome, awesome, awesome. On the 
I would say a tick below Jake, but Punk may have drawn more money than Jake with his tongue. Um, so yeah, uh, CM Punk just, I have, I don't know if I, I had him 10 in 2017 and he scored very well in promos. So, um, I'm curious, I don't know if he'll, he'd probably still be top 15 for sure, but, um, yeah, all the way, uh, CM Punk. All right. So yeah, I think you're getting that five star fear there, Ryan, because yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you if you've got it going up to five, I don't see how Punk doesn't well, maximize that. Just because the, the the reason I didn't go five, I went four. Excuse me, I went four point nine. I have I have Jake, Piper, um, Punk, Savage, Hogan, four point nine, and then I have Flair, Heenan, Rock, Vince. And uh, Austin at five with the promos. So top ten. That's my top ten of promos right there. Very picky. Very picky. Very picky. (laughs) Five-star fear, I guess, right? All right. So what do you guys have least? Who's the least impressive promos on your list? Or disappointing? Call it what you weigh. Okay. So I would go with Triple H in this case and then there's a there's a very good reason it's it's not that he's the worst it's he's not a guy that can't talk it's because i absolutely despise the 20 minute promo to open raw and that was the staple for so long that it just uh it was the new way to do things and and uh it i felt feel like it really forced a lot of people into that as well, especially if they happen to have a program with him and it forced a lot of square pegs into round holes. And it was just, I feel like it was kind of a, not a change in the business. That's too dramatic, but just a, a change in the format of some of the shows. Uh, and was one that I felt was not for the better. So, so that's why I am bringing that up. That's a great pick for your, for your answer. All right, Ryan, who you got? All right, well, I'm kind of shuffling now because that was mine. But I'll go with uh, Jeff Hardy. Good, you know, I hope you shuffle. All right, go on. <laughs> you know, not a uh, – you know, he wasn't expected to have great promos, but he did not have them. Even the times he kind of was just giving quick soundbait interviews, they weren't the greatest thing ever. And, you know, just a guy that luckily had charisma in plenty of other spots where he was able to get his point across, but he was not doing it with his promos. All right. A guy I'm going to go with as a pretty bad promo and as a guy that we haven't really talked about yet is the British Bulldog. Um, It just all I could think about is that 1997 pre-Royal Rumble package where it's like yo bazaar it's just like how uncharismatic with the tongue he is because he has like natural charisma and presence and I would consider him a pretty big star um legacy wise but just you don't really think of him with his promo you know you think he's a very good wrestler to above a very good wrestler he has a pretty decent resume um the character work is cool you know he's got the the awesome look and the cool entrance and the whole vibe and you know the Union Jack and all that, but when it comes to cutting promos times, he just 
it just never seemed to click. And another, you know, kind of Cesaro vibes there, but not kind of as, I don't want to say bad, but as low as Cesaro would be. But kind of uh, British Bulldog, un, under the radar, bad promo. All right, guys, anything else there before we jump on to character work? I don't think so. All right, who is a surprisingly good character on your list, Tyler? So I had CM Punk here, um, and I don't know, he's also, I mean, maybe a staple, because I think he did great character work, and he could evolve it as well. So, uh, you know, he always had the straight edge that was always kind of in his back pocket, and you can play it up when you're a heel and be kind of a douche, and then you kind of downplay it when you're a baby face, and you just, you know, that's when he becomes the, what is it, the voice of the voiceless, and and really a lot of that is he, you know, he was a wrestling fan. He was kind of one of us, and that worked, you know, and as a result of that, it felt like everything he did was pretty genuine, so I think that was a real point in his favor and why he was always a great character yeah awesome all right what do you got rye uh someone i'll go with is kind of a little under the radar would be batista especially i'm thinking of like his uh evolution days you know he would always just have these little like movements in the background of promos and then especially when they start heating him up to turn on triple h you know he'd always have these little moments and matches and promos where he's kind of, you could tell he's thinking about what he's going to do. And then just his character was always pretty constant. And I think it was, especially when he turns heel in 09, that character's just great. You know, the not kissing babies anymore, hugging fat girls. (laughs) And then when he comes back with, uh, and, 2014 even with the evolution stuff again it was just really all his characters were usually pretty pretty well preserved yeah that's a really good pick i i like you alluding to how he did so much things subtly um and believably there like during when he was getting ready to turn on triple h or when triple h was getting ready to turn on him whatever in the evolution and the evolution storyline, but that, that's a good pick there. Yeah, and it's a great under-the-radar pick because you don't really think of him with characters because there's so many characters within the WWE. And, you know, you would, he, Batista's like the, a complete package, but like a complete package at like a four. Not like, but he's under definitely under the radar as a character, so great call there, right? All right, so the guy I want to pick, I want to pick a few guys here, but I'll uh, I'll give a little honorable mentions for when I get to later. But under-the-radar guy, I think, to is Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man. Um, the only reason I bring him as under the radar is because I want to say underappreciative. Um, I agree with the slander of what is the good matches. He's a better wrestler than resume-wise, uh, but is he really a good wrestler? And yeah, he's a good, re- he's a fine wrestler. I would say he's a good wrestler to very good wrestler, but that don't really equate to a great match resume. So I agree with that hundred percent, but the reason why he is so memorable, the reason why he was so high in our list before it is due to the character work. Um, yeah, he was giving a great character of course, as the million dollar man, but the execution is fantastic. Um, he hit a home run after with this character work. If it's from the build, 
to the the climax at WrestleMania four, not winning it before buying it and then getting it held up, um, continuing this character to have personal feuds with like Virgil and Jake and boss man, whoever, and then to kind of carry that into the tag team. And then just even to bring it back as the being this character being so strong to come back and having a stable in the midst. Yeah, it was 94, 95 where the company was super down and, you know, was it super memorable? No, but I mean, yeah, it was super memorable. Was it super effective and great? Not necessarily, no. But, you know, he did take a lot of low-card guys and rise them up to fill gaps when needed within the company. And, you know, he, he did bring in Stone Cold Steve Austin. So, um, yeah, I would say Tendubiasi is a underappreciated character for being unrecognized as great. All right, speaking of great, who is high on your list as great character work? So that that was a great pick, Ryan. I I really like that one. Um, the one that I went actually is has some similarities to the Million Dollar Man, as I'm going with Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Ah, that was my home run pick. Great job. Yep. You finally yep. told me. Yeah. You well, can this, have- Yeah, this, this one just is one of the top characters they've ever they've ever had. You know, it, he's. I mean, he's the hottest heel they ever had during the uh, the Austin McMahon feud, at the very least. I mean, it's hard to say he's not the best heel they've ever had, but, it, you know, and just one of the most pure ones. <laughs> and, man, he would always get absolutely the best out of it. His facial expressions, he, he overplayed everything. Um, you know, they always said the best uh, characters were ones that were like yourself turned up to 11. I think he may have turned it up to 12 or 13 and he was probably too much to begin with um, in real life as we were finding out. But, uh, but, you know, for a wrestling character, man, he was just a great heel. Yeah. Fantastic. One of my favorites of all time. All right, Ryan, who do you, who's your peak character? Uh, I'm going to go with Eddie Guerrero. Actually, I think, Especially early on, like, whenever they gave him, he would just turn it into gold. Like, the Latino heat thing, the, you know, with China, it was always one of the best little uh, bumper segments on Raw back then. And then, you know, the stuff with Chavo, the lie, the cheat, the steal videos, those were always classic. And then he kept it that going, even when he was champ, you know, he'd have the the celebration where he attacks Brock with the sombreros or the the mariachi band wearing one of the sombreros and just always using that lie, cheat, steal, and then he turns it and makes it super dark when he starts shooting with Rey Mysterio. And they have the, the great Dominic telenovela story and really just leading up to even his last angle that he had with Batista there at the end where it was like, oh, can Batista trust him? And it was like Eddie was feuding with his own inner heel self to try and be a good guy. And it was really interesting stuff at the end. I wonder how it would have played out otherwise. But yeah, when he was around, any angle he got, he really stuck his teeth into. Yep. All right. So honorable mention, uh, Goldust. Uh, uh, just a guy that's 
in the four figures on like four, you know, around four, uh, who doesn't really necessarily grade out very high. Uh, another one being Jerry Lawler. Uh, just, I think he's just a great character historically within this company, um, up and down the roster. Of course, the ultimate warrior is a fantastic character. Um, JBL is a great character. Um, he, if it's, if it's the APA or JBL himself, Mr. Perfect is a guy we haven't talked about yet as a great character. And honestly, here's my biggest riser from placement to character. And that's superstar Billy Graham, a guy not really necessarily talked about. Uh, I think you were what in high school when he was around Tyler. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh no, but <laughs> I was born when he was around. So, but yeah, he was a precursor to, um, you know, a lot of larger than life characters we'd see now, um, bigger than his pushes and as WWE champion too, but longevity wise, it was just kind of, he didn't really see it, but you, it's just kind of hard to kind of put over how big of a character he was and could have been, and maybe was a little restricted. I mentioned flexibility with Foley, but a lot of his flexibility was due to character. Flair's character is, is limitless. Angle's character is limitless. Um, but the guy I'm going to go to, the two guys I'm going to go to that I have at greatest fives is Hulk Hogan and Stone Cold, just all time guys within this company. One and two, in my opinion, just, um, star power wise. And that's due to the character and the connection, um, just all time characters. And also kudos to Macho Man and Piper, who I got at 4.8 and 4.9 Jake too. This is so many iconic characters within this company but uh no two bigger than hulk and austin all right so disappointing character work on this list who is some of yours tyler um so this is a guy that uh we talked about ryan ever you and i talked about him and i i made the case for him that's greg valentine um i don't miss i guess he i don't feel like he had much of a character it was good technical wrestler at one point it was good technical wrestler that broke people's legs and uh it eventually kind of transitioned out of breaking people's legs so he was really guy that wrestles heel wrestler so but he was very good at that uh he'll be on my list and he'll be high on my list uh for other things but as far as character work you know he was a little lacking there all right who you got all right, for character work, I'm going to go with someone that just had too many character, too much character work, where he was turning face and heel all the time, and that would be the big show, I think. Eventually, if he was able to, you know, go more than a year without having to turn heel, it might have been nice to have him finally kind of lock into a certain alignment, but it seemed like anytime he was there for more than a year straight and healthy, they needed to turn him face or heel, regardless of whether it made sense or not. Yeah, I hear you. All right, so the guy that I'm going to go to is, I don't want to pick on Cesaro. I don't want to keep picking on Cesaro. I'm not going to pick on Cesaro anymore. I am going to go ahead. I'm not going to pick on RVD. We kind of already hit him, but it's going to go Chris Benoit. Um, I understand if you don't want to rank him, uh, I just rank him because he's a part of history. Not necessarily a fan of him. I don't want to shine light on him. 
but we could shine a light on him in a negative way, saying he was such a disappointing character that um, it could kind of just kind of hold him back on your list. Not you know being such a strong wrestler, having some pretty decent jump up moments, but the jump up moments would outweigh the character work. Um, so I would go Chris Benoit on disappointing character work. All right, guys, we're on the home stretch work rate. Tyler, who is a guy that you got on your with on your list that has surprisingly good work rate? So I was going to go with a guy on my list, and I I looked at AJ Styles, but I'm not going to go with a guy on my list. Uh, I'm going to go with Sasha Banks, uh, and that's because I I think that I think all you know the horsewomen are are all kind of fairly close on. Uh, on work rate, I think they're the first group of truly great women's wrestlers to grace the WWE. And I mostly wanted to get that in because uh, we hadn't talked about any of the women much in this project. And then there's kind of some reasons for that. Uh, I felt like they were all so similar that we'd be talking about if we were comparing two like, two contemporaries, there'd be a lot of crossover. They're talking about the same matches but I think it's going to be a big story of this particular project is particularly how it relates to 2017 as the women are some of the biggest risers. I feel like Sasha Banks is the most versatile worker. She's in, um, you know, like the first hill in the cell, the first money in the bank. That seemed like any time they had the first whatever match they wanted to call on on Sasha. Um, and. So that's why I'm, you know, calling her out specifically, but certainly also Charlotte Flair, who's probably she would be higher on my overall list. But Charlotte, Sasha, Bailey, Becky, they're all rising up the list. And, uh, you know, we'll get others on there. You know, Bianca Belair, Asuka, you know, there's just I think the rise of the women on this list is is something that I wanted to at least touch on. And I thought this was a good opportunity. And Ryan Everett, when you, uh, I think you'd mentioned, you know, Sasha and Bailey on promos and that, that put that idea in my head. So thank you for that. Yeah, no problem. All right, Ryan, who is uh, a surprise on your list? Um, For work rate, I went with uh, Kofi Kingston, I think. You know, everyone knows about the New Day and all the great tag matches, but I think a lot of people sleep on his early career from 08 till 2014. So he had six years at the beginning where he's, you know, weekly out on Raw, SmackDown, main event, you know, all those shows. He was always very active there, almost would always have a match, you know, maybe not, you know, four-star matches, but he'd have a solid match. He still work a solid match now. He had his main event run in 2019 where he was stepping up in big matches and even still with the New Day now, like him and Woods are still a great tag team when they need to be. Yeah, that's a very good pick. All right, so mine's interesting. Uh, I want to go to Wow, Tim score fucked up. All right, so I want to go two with, like, surprisingly good. Um, and I want to go two that are, like, above their resume. 
Uh, one being Goldust, I have him at like a 3.6, just above a very good worker. Actually, he's probably higher than that. I'm probably going to go bump him up at the end of the day. He's probably like a 3.7, 3.8 as in-ring work. He's just a very good, solid to great wrestler. But his resume, I have a 2.93 as in just good or barely good. You know what I mean? Like, what are the standout matches outside of the tag work, really? So, you know... It doesn't come to mind. I'd have to kind of dig deep and figure that out. So I think he hits above his water level on, on within the work rate. And the other one guy I want to shine a light on is kind of Mr. Perfect. Too. I, I have him as a, a 4.3 at in-ring wrestling, and I have him a 4.6, 4.7, 4.7 or 3.6, 3.7 on the resume. You know, outside of the Bret Hart matches, you know, what really is he going to? You know, what can he really sink his teeth into as but you you would never consider Mr. Perfect not a great wrestler. So those are kind of two highlights I wanted to shine on as surprisingly better work rate opposed to resume. All right. So when you think of work rate, who is the one some of the best of all time there, Tyler? Or who do you high? Who do you weigh high? Yeah, uh, it's Daniel Bryan for me. Yeah, he's one, he's one for me. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I mean, I think he might be the best worker they've ever had. I think he's got a case for the greatest wrestler ever uh, mm-hmm. when you include his work everywhere he's been. Uh, so, you know, just taking into account the work rate in WWE, I think he's he's right up there looking at all the different things he can do, the, the submissions. You know, he can, he can sell, he can take over you know he can fight from underneath as the plucky baby face he can be the champion that's you know kind of bullying Kofi Kingston because uh, he's he's believable in either role um just just everything he does you know I think is great I think he's got a tremendous amount of you know great match resume um but I think even the work he does just match to match even eclipses that. I think his, uh, you know, I, I think he could have had even more great matches, you know, if with even more opportunity, I guess, would be the way to, to say that. No, of course. Very good. All right, Ryan, who do you got? I'm going to go with someone you probably want to think of for work rate, but Mick Foley, I think, yeah, he was a brawler. He didn't have a lot of technical matches, but those technical math, those brawls are all well thought out, make sense. And that's kind of what I think of when work, like, does the match make sense? And they do. I mean, that might be wild, crazy brawls, but they have a story to them. They're not just, it's not, you know, hardcore title matches where they're just using every weapon with no story to it. Now his, his brawls are, they might be using every weapon, but there's a story behind it. And, I think, you know, it's something it, I think a lot of people just write him off as, oh, he was just a hardcore wrestler. But his hardcore matches had still a lot of psychology and worked well to what the story was going for. Yeah, that's that's a great call. All right. So uh, I have Brian one. I don't want to repeat. Uh, uh, all right. So a guy on your list that should be high. But not super high because in an NJPW system, he doesn't really spray necessarily high. But 
I think his work rate is higher than his resume, and I think his resume is pretty good. It's just not very deep. And that is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Uh, I got Steamboat at 4.7. I have him uh, ninth so far on a work rate on the guys in the company. Um, that may go up, may go down. We'll see. But I have him 4.7, the same tier as Eddie, same tier as Cesaro, same tier as Styles, same tier as that's it. And then above him, I have Savage Angle Benoit, Hart Michaels. So that's kind of where I have him. Um, in modern day, I think uh, Seth Rollins, we haven't mentioned him. Um, I have him like, what I have him, 19th, 18th at a 4.5. Uh, I think he's very good wrestler. I think he's great. Um, he's very flexible in ring. For the modern product, he never has a bad match. He has a resume full of good matches within his in-ring structure. I just think he's, as for a modern-day WWE wrestler, he is pretty awesome. So that's who I have for top-tier work rate, guys. From a few hours up and down the card. All right, uh, disappointing, guys. Who do you got for disappointing work rate? So the guy I picked here... uh, is edge um i think that his his match resume exceeds his work rate pretty substantially um because it's almost always some type of a a garbage brawl um and i think and sometimes that works sometimes it doesn't uh it's usually i mean his most well-known stuff is probably the the tlc's which i still like um but I do find myself I've really seen enough of that type of match and I so I kind of struggle with how do you weigh the the pioneers. Uh he was also one of six in those. Um you know, carrying on to the you know, SmackDown six, he had good stuff, but again he was one of the weaker ones. Uh and I just feel like that's kind of follows him around throughout his career. Uh I'm either underwhelmed or I'm, you know, I feel like there were some people that were significantly higher on, in my opinion, um, kind of as his dance partners. And uh, at least as far as someone um, that will be as high on lists as, as he will. And and even, you know, on my list, he'd still top half, but I know others will have him have him higher. Mm-hmm. All right, who do you got for disappointing, Ryan? Um, I would go with uh, Ted DiBiase. I think a lot of his, you know, he is this great, like, great, uh, everyone just thinks, oh, he was such a good worker, but really it's not there that much in the WWF, I think. Like, the matches aren't really there. There's someone else I'll bring up a little later who kind of, in that same category where it's just I think he has he's thought of to be a good worker and he has matches in other places but not really under these parameters gotcha all right so my disappointing or low low work rate kind of guy is a few guys that I mentioned earlier in other categories that were hitting high in other categories but you wouldn't really necessarily think that are good workers First being Bray Wyatt, uh, I gave him a, a 2.1 on work rate. I, like, 
he's like okay at best. Um, very, I think his resume is worse than that. But Ingring, he's okay at best. He can do some things. He can go out there and be carried. He can go in there and have good matches against in multi-man matches and do things. But you would not think of him at work rate. And I just kind of wanted to put a a grade on that work rate. And I think what? Oh, sorry, 2.2. I upgraded it since last. So, yeah, not not very good at all. The other one being Jesse James, Road Dog, terrible wrestler. Uh, good punch. I'm not gonna lie, he throws a good punch, but uh. Decent flat back bump, but other than that, he can have a decent, decently fine WWE tag match, but you wouldn't really necessarily think of him as a good wrestler. That's probably why he's off your list, and he would be on your list due to character work, promos, and, you know, jump up or whatever. Um, but the other one is being Shea McMahon. Uh, very good resume for someone with such poor in-ring skill set. Uh, terrible punching. Um, weird placement and timing. Uh, but he has the big spec- spectacle jump, and that's more adds to the work rate or the work resume. And I, do you call that risk-taking res- work rate? I don't necessarily know, but I wouldn't necessarily call him a great wrestler. And the worst one of all is Vince McMahon, of course. Um, I have Vince McMahon as a 3.5 on work resume. Uh, I think he has a very good list of matches. If it's not the Austin matches, it's the Hogan matches, it's uh, the HBK matches, it's it's the Shane match even. Um, just you can name a, a shitload of very good to great Vince McMahon matches, and I gave Vince a 1.7 on work rate. He's horrendous, but he has, he he can go in there and be entertaining enough to have a good matches. So I didn't want to give him a one or a zero. So I, I, I don't know why I found myself at 1.7, but he's probably the worst wrestler on your list, but he is on your list due to a bunch of other factors. So, um, or well, that was, that's where we are with work rate. We're on the final stretch guys. Let's hit work. resume. who's underrated there, Tyler. So who I think kind of has a sneaky, good resume for great matches is Walter slash Gunther. So, you know, I think when he was doing the NXT UK, he had, you know, a lot of really great title defenses. Um, Ilja Dragovic, um, the, and I know he had good matches in Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate. Uh, and then, you know, going on, and he's had a couple with Dragovic that, you know, were in the, if they weren't five stars, they were damn close and in, in the discussion. And then um, the match that he just had with Sheamus at the, you know, I call it WrestleMania, or yeah, I call it WrestleMania Castlevania, but uh, the Clash of the Castle, I believe, is the correct terminology. So yes, so that's who I would have for work resume. Cool. Who do you got for sneakily good work resume, Ryan? Uh, I would go with Finn Balor. I think he's got so much of that early NXT stuff when he first was getting uh, pushed there. And then to the main roster, he has a great match, his first night on Raw, where he beats Roman Reigns to become, uh, to be in the universal title match, and then wins that against Seth Rollins. Unfortunately, he's out for a while with the injury then, comes back, and has the great match with AJ Styles, a kind of a thrown-together TLC in October of 17, and then throughout 18, he's got 
quite a few good matches here and there. He's in the IC title. Him and it's him, Miz, and Seth Rollins at WrestleMania in a great triple threat match. And then eventually he goes. Well, he has the match with Brock at the Rumble where he finally gets his title rematch, and it's kind of the typical Brock uh, match of the day, but it's a pretty good one. You know, he gets his moves in. And then he goes back to NXT and has a slew of great matches there with Riddle, Gargano. Uh, then he gets in the feud with uh, Adam Cole, where he wins the NXT title back. And then from there, he comes back to the main roster. He has a match with Roman Reigns at Extreme Rules, which is pretty good until the last minute where... Apparently the demon revolted against him or something. I'm not quite sure whatever happened in that one, but most of the match is pretty good. And then even now with the uh, Judgment Day, he's been having some good matches with AJ. And uh, I don't remember any of the matches with Edge being good. I remember them being along, but you know that's kind of an Edge thing, I think, more than a Finn Balor thing. Uh, yeah, Finn, don't forget his NXT return. He had a great little run there, too. Uh, my, I have two guys you would think of with work resume. I hinted to it earlier. They kind of go two and two, um, and that is Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Um, I think that you could find a gamut of great matches up and down their career. Um, you could fill it out. Maybe Shawn's a little deeper because of the return. Um, Bret's a little... Brett's a little heavier uh, just because of, um, you know, the Austin stuff and the Owen stuff. Um, I just feel that they go and they're just two peds in the pod in a way that neither of them are their best opponents. <laughs> neither of them really have that epic together. You would think the, the WrestleMania 12 matches, but it's really not. It's like three and a half, three to three quarters, you know. Yeah, these just guys have resumes for days. Um, I prefer Sean a tidbit more. I think I, I had Sean sixth and Brett eight in 2017. Um, probably the same sentiment, maybe a little bit, maybe a little, I don't know, maybe a little shake up, but I think that they're in the, definitely in the same tier together. Um, I just prefer Sean a titch bit more. I think he, in NJPW, I think he fares a little bit better. But resume wise, these guys are tip top tier. And honestly, Kurt Angle, too. Fantastic. Brock Lesnar, too. There's so many guys. All right, so, Tyler, when we when you think work resume, who do you think uh, – who's top tier for you? Well, that was a good transition uh, because I've got Big Match John, John Cena as my top match resume guy. And I, I think a couple of years ago when we did the greatest WWE matches of all time, that just really highlighted it. I mean, he's all over that. Um, and – I think he had, I think I had four of his matches in my top ten. The Umaga match, um, the Brock match at uh, Extreme Rules 2012, the Bryan match at SummerSlam 2013, and then the Punk match at Money in the Bank 11. So, and I don't think, you know, any of those are, are crazy. And then he was, he had several other up and down the card, up and down my list. So, I'm sure he had the most matches on that list. And I think that that's in the spirit of, I think he greatly exceeds his work rate in his great matches. And I don't mean that as so much of a slight. 
because uh, I think he gets there by working really hard too and being willing to do things that a lot of people at his level of star power, his position in the company, uh, probably would not have been willing to do. Yep, that's a great pick. All right, who do you got for match resume, Ryan? Uh, I want to make sure to acknowledge the head of the table. Oh, motherfucker. <laughs> One last time he got me. I think, you know, he comes in right away, the the Shield six-man or the tag matches. Those are always great matches up until uh, the ones with the Wyatts. And really any of those matches are just great six-man tags. Uh, then from there, turns face, and he has the great match with Brock Lesnar at Mania. And... From there, he's he has not the greatest run, but he still has good matches. He has the match with uh, the two matches with AJ, the tw- the summer of 16. He has a really good match against Seth right after that. And then a, the Shield triple threat is at Battleground 16. And then from there, he comes back. He's kind of floundering for a while. He has the match with Undertaker, which... Isn't great, but is notable for just the moment. Um, and then 17, he has the, a really shockingly good feud with Braun Strowman, I think, that no one really saw coming as being these two hosses that can just, that meshed really well. They had quite a few good matches together. Uh, he's got the uh, Rumble, or sorry, SummerSlam 2017 main event, which I really like the big four-way wrestlemania 34 against brack goes kind of with SummerSlam against brack they're both okay you know, he gets his moment though as champ and then has the leukemia so he has to go away till wrestlemania 35 and then he comes back he has a match with drew there he has the weird match where he teams with the undertaker against shane mcmahon and drew mcintyre in july and he's kind of there for a while and then of course in 2020 when he comes back as the head of the table this totally new character where it's just like every month if he's wrestling he's going to have a great match it's i mean you could go down the list jay uso drew kevin owens edge daniel bryan daniel bryan and edge cesaro cesaro uh cena yeah i mean it just goes on and on and he's still having like riddle you know yeah that riddle smackdown match yeah and you know who knows who it will be at wrestlemania but i think there's about three or four guys that whoever he does have a match with will be another epic story yep absolutely all right the guy i'm gonna go with is since you stole my guy i'm gonna go with brock lesnar even if it's early on with the hell in the cell with taker um the angle stuff in 03 the return John Cena match again, just the punk match, the moment where he took the streak. I know it wasn't a great match, but it just should be on a resume for a moment. Um, the Rumble, for the Survivor Series matches with, against AJ and Brian, the 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 Brock, the Roman match at at fifth at 31 that summer with Rollins and Taker was some great stuff. Um, the, the Ambrose match, just kidding. And then just the Brian, the Brian, and then the Roman stuff lately. I love the SummerSlam match this year. Uh, just I, I can't have, I don't have them in front of me, but they're all he just a great resume of 
stuff that he's just killer. He's a stud. And then other guys, like you mentioned, Cena, Hogan has stuff. Warrior has a sneaker, sneakily good one. Rollins has a good one. Austin, of course, Savage is epic. uh, Punk's is great. Brian's is fantastic. Just there's so many Cesaro's is decently. Jericho's really good. But the thing about Jericho, it kind of, I think it would average out at like 3.754. Just, but it's, it's just solid and deep. He just lacks the, the epics. Triple H has a high watermark. Edge has a high watermark, but there's just a lot of fluff in between that. Just solid stuff. And you know who has a good, I'm not going to lie. You know who has a good guy that I'm, a good resume that I'm going to consider? It's Riddle. If it's the Orton tag stuff, it's the day-to-day tag team work, uh, filling the show. He's been in NXT since 19. He has a lot of good matches in NXT. He has a Cole match. That's all time. Here's NXT versus AEW. That Roman match was all time. Oh, Riddle is a guy that I'm going to consider in the bottom, bottom three or four. And, uh, it's due to his match resume. We haven't talked about The Undertaker. If you want to just kind of harp on him real quick, his if you want to pluck out his great stuff, his resume of the streak right there, just to kind of get on him. We're long-winded, and we got one more in us, so we'll kind of hit other guys we haven't talked about yet. But match resume should be considered for The Undertaker, too. Tyler, hit us with a disappointing match resume before we get out of here. Yeah, so uh, we've talked about this guy several times already tonight, both in highs and lows, and that is the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. I think he's the obvious one that uh, he seems like he should be a good good worker. You see good things from him. Um, I've seen a little bit of his work outside the WWE. I've seen a little bit of his work from early in the WWE, which was like 1979, and that all looks better. There's a just a it's it's just a puzzling gap uh, with the character of the Million Dollar Man during his hottest run. It's it seems like there should be more. Uh, he was working with Savage. They had some good matches, but you know they they could have and should have just had better stuff. So that's my pick. All right, Ryan, who's your pick here? Yep, mine kind of is along the same lines. I'm gonna go with. Uh, Mr. Perfect and Rick Rude. They each had, you know, Mr. Perfect had Red Hart. He had two really great pay-per-view matches with him. Rude actually had great matches with the Warrior, but outside of those two guys, these guys could just never make it work on pay-per-view, and they got they got plenty of shots, you know, against decent. I mean, Rick Rude wrestled Jake Roberts. Uh, Perfect had, you know a match with Beefcake, who's not a great worker, but he was pretty, he was at his peak of fame, I think, at WrestleMania 6, and that match is just fine. It's nothing to write home about, though. And, yeah, two guys that I think, a lot like DiBiase, their reputation kind of makes them, I think their characters are remembered so much that it kind of overshadows their actual in-ring work. All right, and the same sentiment too. Jake to Snake Roberts. Um, where where are his classics? WrestleMania eight, kind of disappointing. WrestleMania, WrestleMania seven. It's a spectacle, but it's you know it's it, is that his best WWE singles match? Um, is it? Uh, I don't know. It, it's a blindfold match where they get the hell of a reaction, but they you know it's 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 something that you're gonna kind of have to. I don't know. I wouldn't know how to weigh it or grade it, really. You know what I mean? It, the million, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's just, 
Dubber really just seems to have a classic. Am, am I wrong? Or I don't I don't know. No, you're not wrong. And I've got like those four guys are just forever grouped in my mind because of that. They're all the '80s characters guys that. Yeah. And and you feel like they all are better workers than what we saw in their their WWF career. So. Yeah. So I don't. That's interesting. All right, guys. Um, that's the list. We got one more in us before we get out of here. I'm not sure when. Or how or what, but we're gonna give you one more GWWE. Perhaps give you figure it. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll surprise you. But we just kind of want to put these ten categories to bed and go from there. Uh, Ryan, you got anything before you get out of here? Uh, no. Just keep working on those lists. Make sure you get them in in time. Make your vote count. All right. Well, and then Tyler, anything, buddy? Uh, I echo what Ryan said. Um, Make sure you submit your ballot. Um, I guess I could could plug that I uh, did a run-in guest appearance on with you on clotheslines and headlines. Oh, you did. Um, and we've got a part two that I believe will drop after this, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. So. Yep. Good. Yep. I, I hoped I wasn't doing a WCW reverse title reign, you know, <laughs> talking about something that was in the past or the future or the uh, the Phantom Zone or whatever. <laughs> no, but I'm going to edit to make you sound like shit. Like, as always. <laughs> I don't need any help. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. get You heard him. You heard Ryan. You heard Tyler. Get your shit in. You got till New Year's Eve to get your list in and just send her home. And I really enjoy this year with you guys. And uh, we got more to come in the future. Not GWWE. But uh, we'll get you one more time on GWE before we get out of here. So that's it for us for now, guys. Catch you later.